this is the Women Talking About Learning podcast. My name is Andrew Jacobs. Welcome. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the lifelong learning one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. Lifelong learning has been suggested as a topic and it's a particular interest of mine. But interestingly, it doesn't seem to have a standard definition. Lifelong learning is generally assumed to be some form of self-determined or self-directed education that has a focus on personal development. One of the things I'm looking forward to in this episode is can we understand what it really means? Our first guest is Sharon Green. Sharon is a consultant with her own company, Chava Consultancy, that she founded 15 years ago. Sharon's an executive interim consultant, qualified coach, project manager, who specialises on people change projects, from large-scale international change to tech, comms and engagement skills. Sharon works across a range of sectors, from startups to global corporates. Sharon also has what she calls uh, an unpaid side hustle, which is running the HR Interim Networking Group on LinkedIn, and that's a community for people consultants, coaches and interims. Our second guest is Miriam Nealon. Miriam is a learning advisory manager and learning experience design lead with almost 15 years of industry experience. She's worked across a wide range of companies, but in her current role, she's responsible for the strategic definition of learning experience, working with clients and various learning teams. Miriam's a proud advocate for evidence-informed approaches to learning experience design and has a collaborative blog with Paul A. Kirshner. You'll find the link to that in the show notes. Together they've recently published a book on evidence-informed learning experience design. Miriam has completed an MSc in Learning Sciences, has an MA in Psycholinguistics and a BA in Speech Therapy. This episode was recorded in December 2020. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Sharon and Miriam talking about lifelong learning. Hey Miriam, good to, good to finally see you. We're seeing each other obviously but we've only literally spoken once before so it's really cool to meet you. Hi Sharon, yeah it's really nice to, to see you uh, and it was nice to have chat before as well. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of felt like an icebreaker, you know? Exactly, yeah, and it's nice yeah. to hear a voice yeah. as well. <laughs> Yeah, perfect, perfect. It was good. It was good. Um, I think we're here, well, we are here to talk about lifelong learning, we which are. is a huge topic, which is a huge topic because we, we said this is massive. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, and I think we were going to start with just kind of sharing a little bit about our, our, like our personal history and what we're rocking up to, you know, with to talk yeah. about the topic. So I'm going to leave our, that to you. Our life as lifelong learners. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us a bit about your 
your background history about this? Yeah, so I was thinking about that. I think I'm a, I'm a pretty privileged uh, lifelong learner. Um, mm. My, my dad, uh, he, he studied, uh, my mom didn't. She started working when she was 15. So, mm. uh, but what she did was when I was, I think eight or so, she, that's when she started secondary school um, again. Wow. So that's wow. when she, that's, you had like a, a, like a mom version of it. It was mm. called a mom version at that time. Uh, so, and my dad was always studying um himself so you know I, that might have like inspired me I don't know mm. but uh I I have always liked learning a lot I've, I, I've always loved reading so that mm. I think helps as well mm. um but yeah I have completed like one bachelor's and and two masters so that's uh, mm. you know about formal education and I've always just loved studying and the life you know as a student and um, and then when I started mm. working, I always loved, you know, to go to trainings and stuff, but also to just, I've always like read and, and now, you know, the more um, my career has progressed, the less I do formal training mm. and the more I do, you know, I read, I write, I have, I have a blog mm. um, and I have my personal learning network. And mm. so I, I learn with people, I learn on the job, I learn I learn a lot through my my writing with my mm. uh, blog partner. Mm. So yeah, I, I think that's that's me. But yeah, I, my parents have always been really supportive, and it's always been really easy for me to mm. to learn. So how about you? Well, I think um, I kind of recognise some of the things you were saying about privilege. So I do feel that I've had I've kind of been privileged on a number of levels. I think one of the things, obviously, being in the UK and being of a certain age, then I got a free I got a free higher education. So I think that is a massive privilege in 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 today's um, in today's world. And when I was reading up, just so I was a bit more factually kind of um, in tune with lifelong learning, I was just reading about the massive debt that there is, um, that are, like in the US, it's some kind of like phenomenal figure of people that are in student debt when you know over there. And obviously in the UK, we've got student students paying so I feel like on one level I'm privileged but on the other um like actually um I was the first person in my family to actually go on to higher education I'm not that I wasn't the last um by any stretch but my my dad um was just a phenomenal learner and that probably like seeped into our being he was always teaching us things and we were always in car journeys with him like kind of firing off facts and testing us about stuff and complaining about the state of our education that we didn't know the capital of like I don't know some far off city or some test that he had um and then um but my mom left school at 16 um and um had a quite a troubled relationship with education I think she came out of school thinking that she wasn't um she wasn't able to learn yet she's an amazing kind of you know she's taught me so much and she has a a love of kind of learning new experiences even in well into her kind of 70s now um so both of my parents finished their education quite young and my dad went back um, to education actually at 30 um technical education um but um he, um, you know, he, he always said to me, it's really hard going back to it 
And so that kind of stuck in my head. So when I was a bit confused at like 18, like, oh my God, what am I gonna do with my life? He, he was just so like, just try it, you know, just have a go. And I felt zero pressure to perform. I felt like loads of pride that I'd actually, you know, was going to go and get a degree. I had no idea what I was going to do with it, mind. No, um, me I, neither. <laughs> so and that just, was okay. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like, it was just like, an, um, and I think that what, so I consider myself very, very lucky and very privileged, even though I see looking back, there were a number of things in my history that were just very fortuitous. People who championed me to get yeah. me into a good school, um, when I was kind of on the borderline of some things, but people who really believed in me. And I think that really made a difference, um, particularly when you come from a background that doesn't have, um, you know, those kind of role models already there, which I think is probably informs my view. But it did lit, light a fire, really. Um, it lit a fire to kind of be curious about learning. And so since then, I've got, you know, like I've... Um, I've uh, you know, done a postgrad and done a master's, but um, but still, you know, the fact that um, that I was never, it wasn't an easy ride, I guess. I had some failures at O-levels, for example, um, and picked myself up and had to redo them and, uh, you know, in order to get to that kind of degree. But then from then on, really, I've had this love of learning, both formally, but mainly a bit like you were saying, Nowadays, I learn from my network, from, yeah. from reading a lot, from, you know, having conversations with people like you. Um, so, but I think there's something there about um, being curious to learn. Um, I also think that what you were saying earlier about the confidence, um, because, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, we see a lot of like criticism about education nowadays, mm. right? And, yeah. and some of it, I think, is for good reasons, and there's definitely things we need to improve. But I think mm. we should not forget that one of the things that education does for people is, for most people, I should say, mm. of course, not for everybody, because there's people who have, like, you know, who are slightly different or, or le learn differently. But for most people, it does give, like, the confidence um, mm. as well. And I was reading some research that the people who who are like successful academically, they are the ones that are participating in lifelong learning, you know, mm. naturally. So I think that relation is really important to, to acknowledge. Mm. And I think that's where the curiosity comes from as well, because you need to be confident almost, you know, to be curious, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. And I can think, or maybe to kind of, I think some of the things that, um, that came when, so obviously we kind of were reaching out or being curious with our networks about what do they think about lifelong learning since we thought it was such this massive topic that how yeah. on earth were we going to speak about it and I think what some of the things that came came through there that I found really interesting was um was you know this the, this curiosity and it got me thinking do we how do we acquire that how do we kind of um feed that who encourages that is that something to do with our innate in our education um, or um, and our experience or is it something that we um, that we learn as we as we grow or as we go from people which I found kind of interesting and I, I certainly don't have the answers but I was I just curiosity seemed to come up quite a lot 
Yes, um, I do think though that that does come from people who are highly educated, you know, mm. who speak about lifelong learning that way. Because mm. when you look at the whole concept and, and it is really broad, right? And you need to distinguish between like, the, I was actually seeing some figures I, I didn't know was that old, but there was like a report from OECD from 1970 something and one from, uh, I think it was UNICEF. Mm. Also, uh, let me, no, sorry, it was UNESCO mm. from 1972. And that distinction, UNESCO focusing on, you know, social equality and, um, you know, civic, um, what's the word, like engagement, yeah. and then OECD more focusing on lifelong learning from an economic perspective. Mm. So I think that distinction, and people are still debating because depending on what where your focus is, you know, that is how you shape how you think about lifelong learning. Mm. And it's two com completely different. Well, not always. For higher educated people, it, it's probably quite integrated. Mm. But for people who are disadvantaged, it isn't at all. So mm. it's easy to say that it's great to be curious and stuff. But if you need to, you know, fight for your job and your income, then, mm. you, you know, you really don't care that much yeah. about that stuff. Yeah, and I think that that was one of the things that rang, rang true. And, and also when I was thinking back at my, you know, and if I think about my, um, um, you know, my going back to my parents, um, you know, that my mum my still has this view that I think was kind of the, um, of being less than, I think, probably to do with the way that her experience of education was. Yet she's really bright, you know, and she picks up staff, um, so quickly she's very curious about stuff um she kind of teaches some of her friends about i don't know how to use their mobile phone for example which sounds kind of simple but in a digital age that's kind of um it's fairly um it's fairly important to be kind of is, digitally yeah. savvy at, at that age and i so i do think that there is um there's a combination of factors that you were saying about thinking about it on a macro level so economically um, about kind of um, engagement if you think of the whole people in a country as the potential workforce and the talent if we think about it like that like a corporate case study but on a massive scale then I think that you've got to be thinking of some of these um, the importance of uh, access to education um, equity that um, provides that basis and that foundation for people to then be um, able to be set on a path of lifelong learning as opposed to that just being something that educated or privileged people might 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 have which I found kind of interesting yeah I, I was reading that um, you know if you look at participation in lifelong learning like mm. that it currently tends to mirror like the 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 existing educational and socioeconomic mm. like inequalities completely so the people who are already privileged and yeah. in a good you know, good place. They are participating yeah. greatly in lifelong learning, and and the people who need it the most, it's it's really difficult for them. Um, you know, for for various reasons, for mm. um, reasons of you know lack of confidence. Um, they don't sometimes feel even they're worthy. Mm. Um, mm. They don't think they're able. Uh, access, of yeah. course, is is one of them. But also, even if you provide access, how are you then really going to support them to? to enable them to, to learn and to um, experience that they are able and 
mm. can achieve mm. uh, things. Yeah. And I think in the current context as well, if we think about the, um, the economic impacts um, of COVID, for example, obviously we're recording this, you know, still in this middle of the, um, of the pandemic and I'm sure where it's kind of going to go in 2020. But some of the, um, the research that I was reading about the, the kind of the layering effect. So already on the that kind of inequity and difference between people from, um, I mean, in, in the UK, it would be, I was reading, it would be people from different regions, for example, getting different access. Uh, the types of jobs that people have within those regions might be more knowledge workers as opposed to um, kind of sales and uh, kind of um, admin, administrative work or just front facing work that, um, or part-time work, for example, that might be of, you know, of lower pay, for example. Um, so, and then you layer on top the kind of fast paced world, the digital revolution that everybody um, talks about when they're concerned with, um, with what impact that's gonna have on, on jobs, for example. Um, then I think that you then start to see a widening of that um, equity and uh, maybe people who, um, have through um, their histories a better place to be able to flex, take advantage of lifelong learning or, or to be able to reskill or upskill, which is probably the direction of travel as we kind of move through this kind of quite, quite changing fast paced world really. Yeah, and it was, I was reading a really interesting study where they were looking at jobs where, you know, where people were in IT intensive jobs mm. and what it showed was that people who are in those jobs that we talk about a lot, right? What you mm. were just saying, those jobs are like, like high change, like, mm. and that those people are actually, because the change is expected, the whole organization is organized around that. And, and these people get loads of opportunity mm. to constantly learn, mm. you know, just by nature of their job. Mm. Um, and because the, 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 the support structure is provided. So the people we seem to talk about the most, um, at least in, in, mm. in L&D, uh, I think, because mm. I think most of us work with knowledge workers. That's probably yeah. why we're focused on, on, those, uh, on that group. But those people are relatively in, in good shape. We mm. don't have to worry about them that much. Mm. Um, so I thought, well, this was just a study in the Netherlands, but it was, it was I thought it was an interesting, like, you know, flip Mm. of how, how to think about that mm. and, but I mean, of course the big question is what do we need to do to help those who need it the most right and I and I think oh Sharon the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I feel it's the weight of you know the weight for like a, a hugely powerful um immediate response that's going to cure all of this so I mean I think that um I mean I think what was really interesting um when I was thinking when I was thinking about preparing for the for this because obviously I'm a you know I have a passion for it you know it's something that I feel is important for my work for myself personally um for broader society you know I'm kind of I'm into this you know I've kind of I've I've bought I've bought um I've bought into this but I think that um the, the concerns that I have are always about um, how do we ensure um, greater equity within the system? So what can we do as individuals, um, as citizens, as, as kind of people who are passionate about learning um, to, uh, to think about 
pushing that agenda really broader than outside of our organization so i think there's things that we um that we need to uh, to do on that front and i also think that we need to recognize um when we are in roles in organizations that um things like how we bring in our talent how we develop our talent how do we think about um, maybe some of the roles within our organisations that don't have access to um, that amount of, of learning, you know, that they're, they're not that privileged, actually thinking about the inequity within our own organisations. And maybe when we're thinking about strategic workforce planning or talent planning or bring, do we bring in talent or, you know, do we buy it or do we make it, you know, when, we, when it comes to um, an approach to learning? Um, I think we need to think a lot more creatively um, and probably be a bit more challenging in organisations to say, you know, we could have people in our business right now who know us, who know our culture, know how we work, um, know how this, um, know the challenges that we're facing that might not be in a, an obvious role um, or the role that's at risk. And how can we move that person? How can we support their learning um, to move them into a place where we know there's growth um, as a business? Um, and, and what um, incentives are there um, for organisations and, and leaders to, um, to be supporting that? Because often I think there's a feeling that um, it's easier and you know, in some ways it is to buy in the talent that there's talent shortages in these areas all, all, all across um, yeah. uh, countries. So we, we need to be a bit smarter, I think. I think that's a really, really good point. And I also think that um, what organizations, the organizations that we work for, so we kind of moved to, to our own uh, <laughs> part of the world mm. again. But, but still, I think that organizations also need to be really clear around what can they do or what are they willing to do to actually support you as an individual? And mm. there's always a lot of talk, you know, that we're here you to support your growth mm. and stuff like that. But I think organizations also need to really reflect on, like look in the mirror and think like, how honest are we saying this? And mm. if you don't have the capacity to actually support an individual so that you know when the focus needs to be on the business performance because you're not in such a good shape as an organization I think that's totally fair but at least be transparent right say hey people like currently we don't have any space for you as for your individual growth we need to focus on this and you just need to like keep keep going with us because mm. otherwise we're going to fall over mm. or something but I think also like a completely different uh, lens is, you know, edu the, the education system in itself, like, mm. you know, and I don't have the answer there because I'm not yeah. an expert in that area, but I do know that, you know, inequality is still a big theme in yeah. education, like that the equality, is, there is no, like, like if you look at COVID, for example, mm. like what, you know, the online learning, um, oh, goodness need, it is, mm. it is, um, increasing like the gap between those who are you know already uh doing quite well versus those people who are already disadvantaged Com that completely is, is, yeah i think that's just highlighted now uh again in, in these times 
Mm, I mean, I, I couldn't, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I think that it's, I think that the pressures on the education, the formal education system are such that it, it feels like, um, it, it, it just, it, 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 I mean, it, it's one of those kind of insurmountable things where I just think we really need to um, think about the whole system. So think about um, the education that we're providing as a foundation for people um, not not just for their work for their life so if we think about lifelong learning um, we need to think about it through that lens not necessarily just about educational attainment but about the the kind of for me I would I'd love kids to come out of school thinking that they know how to learn that they can um, that they know where to go um, to be able to to learn things and to value that as a as a skill on reading writing obviously um the literacy levels and the statistics on on that are still quite shocking really they are yeah and um, which are. which you kind of think for for you know for us like for first world countries um you know we you know we need to take a long hard look at ourselves about what we're doing um within our education system and i think that provides a foundation but then there's also lots of other things that we build on post school because obviously we only spend 16 or 18 years within our kind of that school high school kind of environment and then either move on to further education or not but I was I was I was kind of surprised that um I was reading a, a stat and I'm probably going to misquote it so we can always um add it into the kind of show notes about how many people leave um leave education um, and that's the final point of formal education that they do not that that's the end of their learning but I think that um it, we, we, we can't rely on education, formal education alone to set people up. And we need to think of all of the other systems, including workforces, um, the way that we, the, the way that governments support, the way that we interface, that workplaces, workplaces interface with their communities and um, things like further education or higher education um, and how they all fit together, I guess, and maybe try and have a bit more of a broader approach. But we also need to wonder, like, why these people quit education yeah. early, right? Yeah. So, because I think it is a minority who mm. quits because they are those free spirits who, who are getting on well in life and, uh -huh. you know, are successful, whatever they do. Like, they yeah. are just those people who will get there, you know. Um, but most people who quit education early do that because they're coming from families where education is not. Mm. Um, was never part of their family you know it's 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 a lot yeah. of people who are already uh, like people who are unemployed like you know generations mm. it's just those those groups that drop out and so I'm always really frustrated when when you know when we talk about improving education which I completely agree it needs to and there are a lot of challenges that we need to mm. tackle but we should definitely not think that those that that if we are going the route the route of okay let's just do what you know do what people are in what children are interested oh. interested in and uh you know help them uh accomplish you know whatever they are interested in that is such an elite and this i'm, mm. I'm so passionate about this because that's such an elite way of thinking yeah because you completely forget that the children who need it the most, who need like a foundational knowledge mm. base the most, uh, they don't have the support at home 
They don't have yeah. parents who sit down and read with them. And pe those people that have, don't, don't have the confidence, don't have the um, ability to, to teach their, their children and to support them. They just, and that's what we need to fix, right? We need to make sure that everybody has the same foundation Mm. And that's why why educational education should not like move away from a foundational knowledge base. Completely, um, completely. I mean, I was I, I was kind of I, wa I was watching um, uh, a television program over here on catch up called um, the write offs. And it was a study and it's looking at literacy levels. And it quoted that 8.4 million people in the UK um, have literacy levels below you know so they can't read and write so right. fun basic functioning i think um you know was so hard and they were showing the support that they gave to a group of people to be able to fulfill um to do the things that they wanted to do which they'd missed out on because of their education so i definitely think that um we need to kind of look at um look at and, and ensure that people are getting a foundation and um and i think that um it also gives us not just the kind of the, the kind of the tools in our toolbox. I like to think of it as like you, you kind of get the tools in your toolbox. Obviously, you get the badges and the attainment levels and so on. But you also get tools in your toolbox, which can, if you know how to use them, can be flexible to be able to use them in all sorts of situations to transfer them around. And I think that's the mindset which... Um, you know, I feel is the privilege that I had from both my education, but also the fact that my parents were, you know, interested in learning, supportive, and could recognise what learning could give to, to a kid like me, really. Um, and I think that, um, and also I was taught to, I, my dad always used to like, um, go on about being critical, you know, thinking critically, not just accepting what I was told or what I read and I think that in a in an age of um where I have access to so much more information than I ever did when I was growing up you know when I had like an encyclopedia my dad used to go look in the encyclopedia you know whereas now I've got google I've got you know any other browser of your choice I've got endless amounts of information reading people that I'm connecting with through the um the technology that we have then i think those kinds of things are also very important to be able to be discerning and to think where can i pick up my information how valid is it how well, useful that's, is it that's that's key yeah i think information literacy is key um but we also shouldn't forget that you need your foundational knowledge to be <laughs> able to to validate the of information that you yes yeah. but i think like um yeah the questions to ask and how how you need to validate that 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 piece of information that's in front of you is actually uh you know how to cross check and and look at different types of resources and all that stuff is is really important to, to mm. teach mm. um we still haven't answered how we, <laughs> how we need to be it's so I, i'll give one example because yeah. and, and of course i don't have the answer uh, whatsoever but um i've worked with an organization in in dublin uh. And what they do is, uh, they're called Ankasam, and uh, what they do is they support people who are, uh, who live usually around like the poverty edge and they're, you know, educationally very mm. dis disadvantaged, like they usually not, uh, sometimes not even completed primary school. Mm. Um, and they work so, they, they have like these amazing programs to pull those people back in uh, and provide education mm. and not just that, also support them 
uh, along the way because mm. you know as we said like all those things like your beliefs uh, your self-efficacy you know to what extent do you think you're able to achieve success all that that is just um, that requires such a support system to help mm. people get over that and they will only get motivated after they you know see that they can achieve success they have like Childcare. They provide. Child, there's a lot of uh, single moms mm. uh, who they uh, provide those opportunities. So I think these type of institutions mm. um, are really important to to uh, to fight that inequality and and help that that group because that is also a specific group, but help them um, you know get back into the workforce. Mm. Mm, and yeah. I think it's also interesting because the that there was like some studies uh, around women as well, and those mm. are quite interesting in the sense that um, sometimes uh, family life gets in the way for women, but sometimes it's also the motivator for them to go back learning. So, for mm. example, and I've seen that like in in that institution that I just that organization mm. that I just uh, mentioned women who who are, are just so motivated to become digitally literate because of their children mm. they want to be able to support them they want to understand you know what these what their children are doing like on a computer and 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 stuff like that so it has like the 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 results are um you know mixed like sometimes women are disadvantaged because of family life sometimes it's actually their their motivator and i thought that was hopeful at at least uh, and I and when you were saying that I was kind of fancifully trying to scan my notes of course I can't find where um where the the pure statistics from my research was coming in but but I think that um what I found because I asked um so I was thinking about the question you know this is women talking about learning podcasts so obviously is there a um is there a gender lens through which we kind of look at um look at lifelong learning and and as well as the maybe um the element of women tending to pull more on the caring um, or childcare responsibilities. Or interestingly, there were some statistics around the amount of women in the kind of lower skilled part-time kind of working, if we're thinking about that, which often has um, like a, a value so they're paid less per hour, for example, might be in more unstable conditions. That might um, impact their kind of lifelong learning although they're not exclusively that often the 18 to 24 year old age group I think is also uh, often impacted by working in those kinds of environments yeah the thing that I wanted to say was that um, that there's lots of um, things that I was reading about in the research that um, that um, so McKinsey did a, a rethinking skills um, for a talent shortage. It wasn't particularly about COVID or about the situation that we're in. It was just talking about uh, the context um, for the future. And they were talking about the, that they estimated that nine out of 10 people in work needed to upskill or reskill. And I found that kind of quite powerful. But they also did talk about the impact in different, um, for different people. So women, um, uh, intergenerational so particularly at the lower end and also at the upper end um, which so it might have that that kind of impact and I think that um, often um, the, the female angle might be that women are more likely to be in those jobs where they're lower paid part-time unstable but yeah I think the part-time I, I, I'm not sure I don't know any figures about the lower mm. paid but the part-time uh, I think is 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 definitely uh, you know more women work 
part-time compared to men. And in part-time jobs, there are less opportunities, less learning uh, opportunities. Um, so I think that's something that organizations uh, should be aware of. Like, yeah. you know, cause it's, it's not like part-time jobs should not be undervalued because I think it provides a lot of flexibility to the workforce, a lot of, you know, um, choices around maybe work-life balance if you have that privilege that we have that word again but if you can make that choice you want to make that choice then you should be able to make that choice and, and um, yeah and I think that for us as people who are influencers persuaders passionate about lifelong learning and I think that when we're talking to our clients whether we're um, consulting with them or in organizations and, and coming with this specialist knowledge I think we need to get them to think about um, the learning in a broader context. So the, the people that they're touching or, or providing or supporting or facilitating to learn, then kind of bringing a bit more of a, you know, a kind of an inclusive lens and meaning fully inclusive. So not just that there's certain statistics around attainment levels of people from different ethnic backgrounds or social backgrounds, for example, as we talked about, or different genders, but we also need to think about our workforce, like part-time, full-time, you know, people in, in kind of knowledge roles, people in, in different roles to that, to think about it more holistically. If we are in the position to do it, or maybe like you said earlier, be a bit more transparent about where the focus of the organization is because of the, um, the position that they're financially in so that, um, so that the workforce can, can think about what they need to do for themselves and what's gonna be provided by the environment that they work in. I think that is a really that's a really good point. Like if you think about you know what we can do as as learning professionals, I think, um, and and you know all the examples that you've given like are kind of examples of that. We need to kind of broaden our lens around what mm -hmm. lifelong learning is. Are we talking about an economic lens? Are we looking at it through a social, mm -hmm. uh, you know? quality uh, mm. lens because even like big organizations right um they usually have like uh corporate citizenship type mm. of programs as well could we play a role there you know mm. then i at least like indirectly you can help influence like mm. the broader if you know if that's something you you want to do i just feel that from what i've seen that we do have a tendency to look at it from a more um you know, learning is so great. Let's all be curious and keep learning and, and uh -huh. it's fantastic, which I don't disagree with. Yeah. Um, you know, I love learning myself and yeah. we should definitely embrace our opportunities. Yeah. But I think, you know, we we should be aware that there is, um, yeah, just way more to it. And, and let's just, you know, broad, I, I almost feel that we have like a, a responsibility to look at it through a broader lens and, mm see where our opportunity our opportunities are um, mm. as professionals so I think if we want to think about a call to action yeah and that's I think what I would say like let's see you know if you look at it through a broader lens like what are the things you can change yeah yeah help help change of course yeah. it's always a little tiny nugget um, yeah. yeah no I think I agree I mean I think sometimes we get a little bit trapped in our own bubbles whether it's a learning bubble or you know just our own little bubble and sometimes we just need to realize that ev not everybody's in the same bubble and um and I think yeah the court uh, you know we need to 
look at things with a with a broader broader lens and Helen Blondin had a nice one, I think, with her oyster. I think we need to, you know, she was saying life is not uh, only inside your own oyster. Yeah. So we need to open up our oyster and step out and um, and look around. Yeah, so I definitely, think definitely. I amazing. thought that was a good one. And there was also a really good, there was some also good one about how the language, whether or not something like lifelong learning places, you know, kind of, too, you know, think about not putting too many musts, coulds, shoulds, striving you know this kind of pressure but to um which i thought was i think both um i think doug shaw and nick um ribeiro both said that which kind of really struck me you know we need to kind of get a balance and this is about how we how we can influence persuade and and encourage facilitate but also have a balance that this is things that would be useful for us personally as well as within our work or you know hence lifelong learning I guess <laughs> I think Sharon that that's a perfect end mm. to our chat yeah I've enjoyed it it's fun yeah, me too I think it was it was interesting at least I was <laughs> I thought it was interesting hopefully the listeners think the same we shall see we shall see it's been lovely chatting to you anyway I've enjoyed it me too, and it was. Uh, I'm really happy I met you uh, through through this uh, mm. podcast. And uh, kudos to Andrew for for bringing us together. Uh -huh. um, so thanks very much, and uh, bye, Sharon. Goodbye. Someone said to me the other day that they love listening to women talking about learning because it feels like they're just eavesdropping into a conversation. And this one pretty much more than any other felt like that completely a massive thank you to both Sharon and Miriam for their contributions this week you can find them both on Twitter and their details, blogs, links etc will all be within the show notes as always I'm incredibly privileged to listen into these conversations first hand and someone else asked me how I direct the guests so I thought it might be worth hearing the transcript of the chat from this recording. These are the things that I typed into the chat. Loving this approach from backgrounds. Question. What can we do to support people with less opportunity? Following the comment about the TV programme, write-offs. Superb TV programme, highly recommended. Five minutes. When in the recording one of the guests asked me to make an edit, I said, Nicely done, Sharon. Neat. Say bye to each other, please. I don't direct the guests. I don't create the narrative. I don't create an editorial approach. The guests do it. If you want to join in, please let us know. Contact us through the website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast player. And tell your friends if you found the episode useful. Thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you again soon. You have been listening to the Women Talking About Learning podcast. 
Women Talking About Learning is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music and Alexa, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or your favourite podcast app. You can get in touch with Women Talking About Learning via email, on Twitter at WTAL underscore podcast, or via our website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. Make sure you tune in next time for more women talking about learning. For more of The Signal, none of the noise.